Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's great to see you. Uh, as we continue to worship the Lord together, I'd ask that you turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. A couple weeks ago, we began a series on the book of Hebrews, an anchor for the soul. And by God's grace, we will be in the book of Hebrews for uh, probably about a year. And uh, it's our hope and prayer that God would use this time uh, over this next season to uh, not only um, help uh, us see who Christ is uh, with new eyes, but rather also uh, help keep us grounded uh, because uh, the uh, waves of life, so to speak, can shift us to and fro. Uh, but Jesus is our true anchor, uh, keeping us uh, secure. Uh, so as you turn to Hebrews chapter 2, uh, I would like to pray uh, as we uh, move on in the service. Father God, uh, thank you so much for this time uh, that we have together uh, gathered uh, with your people, as your people. Lord, I thank you for your goodness, uh, God, that we can meet to sing praises to you, to, to sing the, the good news over one another, and God, to gather to uh, study your word. And Lord, I pray that this time we have in your scriptures this morning, uh, God, that you would use it to open our minds, to understand and our hearts to receive the gospel of Jesus, God, the good news that changes everything. Uh, Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit inspired this word to be written down and has preserved it for generations for our benefit today. So God, I ask that by your Holy Spirit, uh, you would stir us up make us more like your son, Jesus, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verse 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay closer, much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. This is God's Word. Friends, Jesus is our mighty anchor. Jesus not only saves us, but keeps us from drifting. And this good news changes everything for us, both eternally and now in our day-to-day lives. Think of a time, perhaps, that you followed one simple idea. Could have been a good thing or a bad thing. Just one, one small step that took you in a drastically different direction. I mean, it, maybe you were driving somewhere, uh, somewhere far away, and you just took one small wrong turn, and you ended up going two hours off course, perhaps. Or think of a time maybe that you were maybe cooking something and you put one small ingredient uh, that was the wrong thing and ended up ruining the whole cake or whatever you were making, right? Sometimes one small, simple idea can set you on a track to bigger consequences and sometimes it could be disastrous and sometimes it could be funny. Uh, There's a series of children's books. uh, Those of you with kids maybe you're familiar with. Um, One's called If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. And the other one's called uh, If You Give a Pig a Pancake. (laughs) And these books are really cute because it's the whole premise of the book is, hey, if you give a mouse a cookie, and then out of that one decision, you have a whole series of children's books. It's amazing. Well, I was reading online this week, as I sometimes do. Somebody wrote uh, a little one called If You Give a Mom a Muffin. Have you guys seen this? So mothers in the house, this is for you. If you give a mom a muffin... She'll want a cup of coffee to go with it. She'll pour herself some, 
Her three-year-old will come and spill the coffee. Mom will wipe it up. Wiping the floor, she will find dirty socks. She'll remember she has to do laundry. When she puts the laundry into the washer, she'll trip over shoes and bump into the freezer. Bumping into the freezer will remind her that she has to plan supper. She will get out a pound of hamburger and she'll look for her cookbook, How to Make 101 Things with a Pound of Hamburger. The cookbook is sitting under a pile of mail. She will see the phone bill, which is due tomorrow, and she will look for her checkbook. The checkbook is in her purse, which is being dumped out by her two-year-old. Then she'll smell something funny. She'll change the two-year-old. And while she is changing the two-year-old, the phone will ring. Her five-year-old will answer and hang up. She'll remember she was supposed to phone a friend to come over for coffee. Thinking of coffee will remind her that she was going to have a cup of coffee. She will pour herself some more, and chances are, if she has a cup of coffee, her kids will have eaten the muffin that went with it. So those of you in mom world and dad world and with kids know that one small thing, such as pouring a cup of coffee, can lead to a whole array of adventures in the home. And these things happen to all of us no matter what stage of life, and the same is true for our faith. Often when we think of the Christian faith, we think of making one big decision that takes us on a pathway to glory or guarding ourselves against one big decision that would take us on a path to destruction. But friends, I assert to you that what is more likely is not that you would make a huge, big, drastic decision and abandon your faith, but rather one small step that would chart you on a trajectory toward destruction. That's the case we see in the book of Hebrews. You see, rarely it is one big shift, but rather subtle steps of drifting that cause us to swerve from the true faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One simple act can be a step toward disastrous consequences, just like a ship who is veering off course just one degree can end up far away from where it is going. So what are some examples for you? Think of an example, maybe, of small decisions that lead you off course. See, the author of Hebrews addresses this in the scriptures that we see today. The author of Hebrews uh, is writing to the first century church, uh, the, the early Christians who are gathering together. They're facing persecution. Some are doubting the faith at all. Others were wanting to return to a more traditional pre-Jesus Judaism. And the author warns against drifting and charges the hearers to pay closer attention, lest we drift. So for you and I today, I want us to heed that warning, the biblical warning to pay closer attention, the the warning to avoid drifting from the faith. And I want us to have a, a few moments here to take inventory of our hearts and minds, to have an honest assessment of where we are in our faith. I want us to look to Christ as our anchor, to realize that as humans we are prone to drift, and to see that by the power of the Holy Spirit and God's grace we can pay closer attention to constantly see and experience the good news of Christ's salvation of us. Sounds like a fun time, right? Yes. Let's dive in. The first thing I want us to see is this. The first thing is we have to be honest with ourselves and to know that as humans we are prone to drift. Verse 1 Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. We have to be honest with ourselves. We are prone to drift. 
So we walk into the room today thinking, well, I come from this great heritage and this great tradition, or I've been a Christian for 20 years, or I have this Bible degree or such and such. And we can walk in with such arrogance that we forget that as humans, as broken people, we are prone to drift from the faith. I mean, the author of Hebrews is writing to the first Christians, many of whom would have known some of the apostles face to face. I mean, some of these early Christians knew the original disciples of Jesus. I mean, here they are having the New Testament written directly to them, and they're prone to drift. They're prone to walk away from the faith because of sin and idols or cultural uh, wooing, or, or maybe they're walking away because persecution is hard, or they want to walk away because they liked their tradition before Jesus came and messed it up, right? All of chapter 1 that we looked at the past couple weeks, the author is laying out for us the supremacy of Christ, that Jesus is, is the true and better messenger, the true and better savior and rescuer, that he is the, the uh, nature of God himself, the radiance of God's glory, and not only reflecting God's glory, but he himself is, is God, so he's radiating the godness and the goodness and the grace of our Lord. And he's writing saying, look, this is, this is who Jesus is. This is what he's done. Don't forget this. Don't forget this. All the chapter one is just, Jesus is great. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is superior. And then chapter two starts with, therefore, pay close attention. Pay closer attention. Don't, don't drift from this gospel truth. See, our hearts are fickle. Our hearts are prone to drift. That's why you can hear the good news one time and be ignited with passion and zealousness for the faith. And then two weeks later feel like, what, what happened to that? I had a mountaintop experience. It's not there anymore. It's because we have to pay closer attention to our great salvation. See, we have to be honest. We are prone to drift. And a few of the ways that our hearts are, are drifting from the faith is, could be sin. It could be idols. It could be our prideful preferences. It could be fear and doubt. Think about it this way. Think about what sin you struggle with. I mean, one way you could be drifting from the faith, I mean, you see that, that Jesus is God. He has come to rescue us, to save us from Satan's sin, death, to give us a life abundantly now and eternal security and communion with God the Father and relationship with each other. And this is all that God is giving us through Christ. And then we're prone to drift from that because of sin. We think, well, I know Jesus has delivered me from sin, but I'm just going to click on this thing I shouldn't look at. And click on it one more time. It's no big deal. Right? Or, or maybe uh, I'm just going to have one more drink. I mean, I know that probably three is the limit for me, but let me just have four or five, whatever. It doesn't matter. Right? Maybe I'm just going to, whatever it may be. Sin struggles creep in like that, usually one small step at a time, like a crack in a dike. Sometimes sin can make us prone to drift, forgetting the great salvation we have in Christ, the gospel, right? Sometimes it's idols. I mean, sometimes it could be even good things that take a, a prominent role in our life. Those idols could be something tangible, like you look at where you spend your money. So, all right, God's given me this money to steward, and I'm going to spend it all on this thing over here. If it's disproportionate to other areas of your life, that may be an idol for you. Or maybe it's your time. If you're giving more time to one area of your life, maybe than you should, while you're neglecting other areas of more importance, maybe that's an idol for you. I mean, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's your job. 
I mean, working's good. Excel in your careers, right? But if you were excelling in your career at the detriment of your faith and family, your career may be an idol, right? Excel in school, but if you were doing so well in school that you're neglecting everybody else in your life and neglecting your faith, maybe school's an idol. In fact, by God's grace, when I was in seminary, one of the professors that had a profound impact on me said, look, uh, I want you all to do well in my class, but if making an A in my class means you have to neglect your wife and kids, all of you better make a C. Thank you. <laughs> Taking mediocrity to a whole new level. See, sometimes sin and idols can cause us to drift from the faith. They can distract us. What about this? Prideful preferences. Ooh, this one's hard. Right? Sometimes we have preferences that may or may not be of much importance, but those things can become, uh, you know, in a sense, an idol for us, something we, we close our hands around and say, we're going to be dogmatic on this issue. Right? Here at Redemption Church, we often use the language of open-handed and closed-handed issues. Closed-handed issues are, are hills we will die on, meaning we believe that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. I will die for that truth. I'm not wavering on that one. Another close-handed issue is that, is that Scripture is the only uh, inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of God. It's not one of many great writings. No, it, it is the only Word of God that we have. So that's a, that's a close-handed issue for me. I'm holding that one tight. But so open-handed issues, we can be a little loose on. We can say, you know what, uh, unless Scripture commands something, I mean, only what's in Scripture is binding. So if Scripture doesn't command something, we could be a little loose on it. I mean, we can have some differences here. I mean, Scripture makes it clear on some things, so we hold them tight, but on other things, let's be a little loose on. And sometimes these loose issues can become dogmatic issues for us and our pride and preferences and cause us to veer off track from the faith, cause us to drift from the faith. Here's a few examples of some open-handed issues that I've seen people make closed-handed issues and thus cause them to swerve from the faith. Here's one example. Where you live. Where you live is not a dogmatic issue. Scripture does not tell you where to live. But so many times I've seen people say, you know what, you're veering from the faith uh, because you moved to the suburbs. That's stupid. Jesus didn't tell me to move to the suburbs, nor did he tell me to live in the city. You know, uh, and we see it you know, in our city today, city versus suburbs. You know what, the Bible doesn't tell you where to live. But the Bible does tell you what kind of neighbor to be, right? So that's an area where we have a little open-handed looseness, right? You can live in the city. If God leads you to the city, praise the Lord. He didn't lead me to the city. He led me somewhere else, right? If he leads you to the woods, awesome. Go move to the woods, you know, and follow Jesus. If he leads you to hop on a plane and go to uh, Uganda or Korea, go there. But you can't make God's call on your life a dogmatic issue for everyone else because God's call on somebody else's life may be different than yours, right? It's not dogmatic. I mean, if I sat here and said all of you were to be pastors, Scripture doesn't say all of you should be pastors. But you know what? God made it clear that I'm to be a pastor for this season in life, so I obey. That's what I'm to do. But God has called you to something different, right? We're clear on that, yes? So a prideful preference, an open-handed issue, can, if we make it dogmatic, it can cause us to veer from the faith. Here's another example. How to parent your children or how to school them. Touchy subject sometimes. You know what? Some people homeschool their children. Praise the Lord. Other kids are public schooled. Praise the Lord. Some of you are private schooled. Praise the Lord. 
Scripture does not tell you how to school your children. We have a little bit of flexibility because, because the Bible doesn't address the issue of schooling, but rather tells you what kind of parent you should be. So if you were being led by the Holy Spirit and you were submitting to the Lord and the faith, you can take your kids to public school or to private school or to home school. I'll just tell you, in my family, my siblings experienced all three of those areas. They were public. Some of, For a season they were homeschooled, then they went to public. My sister went to private school for a year. Praise the Lord. You know what? They're all amazing. Walking with the faith. So prideful preference sometimes can be something that causes us to drift because we say, here's the grace of the gospel. Here's the good news of Jesus. Our our salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. And then we say, but we're going to be dogmatic about this, which is really saying salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone and also how how you parent your kids. That's salvation. Or where you live. That's obedience, right? We need to be careful because this is happening in the first century church. The writer of Hebrews is saying, look, look, people, some of you are, are wanting to drift back into your pre-Jesus Jewish culture. And, and you know what? And so make, making such a dogmatic stance saying we, Christianity must look more like this. I mean, Christianity must be more first century Judaism. They're abandoning the faith of the grace of the gospel. And for others saying, you know what? I mean, Jesus is not very palatable in our Greco-Roman culture. Maybe we need to repackage it a little bit and kind of shirk off some of these things in order to make Jesus more digestible. That was happening in the first century. All the while, the writer of Hebrews says, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift from it. Prideful preference. What does that look like in your life? I have more examples, but my goal is not to make everybody mad, just most of you, okay? Here's a fourth one. Fear and doubt can cause us to drift. Fear and doubt. You know, there's no, there's no fear in love, Scripture tells us. There's, there's no doubting in the gospel. And, and our, our hearts are prone to fear. Our hearts are prone to doubt. What are some fears and doubts you wrestle with? Here's a common one. God, God could never forgive me for what I've done. Or maybe you're feeling, I'll never be good enough to get married. Or no one will ever accept me into their community if they know what kind of person I am. Or no church would ever care for me because of the struggles I have. I can't be honest because if they, if they know really how I am, they will reject me. Do you struggle with this? I have. I do. You know what? Fear and doubt will cause you to drift from the gospel. So I want all of us right now to, to take an honest assessment of our hearts and our minds to say, you know, first and foremost, Scripture makes it clear humans in general are prone to drift. Verse 1 says it. All of the Old Testament is just one story after another of God's people drifting. And you and I do it today. So if you say, I will never drift. Well, you know what? You are already drifting. <laughs> we all see it. I'm not drifting. Yes, you are. All of us are prone to drift. And so take an honest assessment of your heart. What is causing you to drift in your faith? What is luring you away from the grace of the gospel of Jesus? Is it sin? Is it idol of some sort? Is it a prideful preference? I mean, something that that maybe God has given you liberty on and you're making it dogmatic and all of a sudden you're... Maybe it's fear and doubt. But friends, first and foremost, as we take an assessment of ourselves and see how we are prone to drift, secondly, i got to tell you some good news. 
right? The good news is that God's salvation of us is good news. I mean, that Jesus saves us. And we see in verse 1, says, We must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. I mean, drifting's possible. But verse uh, 2 says, For since the message declared by the angels uh, proved to be reliable, every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. We're going to talk more about that next week. Verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. You see what happens here? The writer makes it very clear. He, he lays out in verse 1, just says, look how wonderful God is. Look how great Christ is. I mean, Jesus is our true and better messenger, our true and better savior. Uh, he ties in all of this wonderful Old Testament stuff from Psalms and is just like, look, this is who Jesus is and this is what he's done. And therefore, this is who we are and how we are to be in Christ. So let's not drift from it because we're going to be prone to drift because of sin and idols and preferences and fear and doubt. But let's not drift because secondly, God's salvation of us is such good news. He says it's a great salvation. And this is how great it is. This is how good the good news is, right? Is that the Lord declared it it was attested to by uh, those who witnessed and that God showed, showed various signs and wonders and miracles to, to attest to this good news. I mean, look at this. The Lord declared us. The first thing he says in verse 4, he says, look, this great salvation is good news to us. Verse 3, it was declared at first by the Lord. Right? When you look at the Gospels, you see all of Jesus' preaching and teaching and action was done in line with the Old Testament. I mean, everything Jesus said was affirming God's goodness in the Old Testament. Jesus was not anti-Old Testament at all. In fact, he like teaches from it. He like he's tempted in the desert by Satan, and he quotes Deuteronomy. Bam! If you're tempted by Satan, drop some Deuteronomy on him and see what happens. Read Deuteronomy first. And then see how Jesus fulfilled Deuteronomy. And then you can say, you know, you can say, don't talk to Satan, but if you're going to, at least quote scripture. You know, if Satan says, hey, doubt, fear, you're a loser, whatever, you can say, Deuteronomy, boom. And then Satan will say, yeah, you can't do that. And you can say, you know, you're right, but Jesus did it for me. Bam! I never talked to Satan. But if I was, that's what I'd say. Actually, don't ever talk to Satan. What am I saying? Stand behind Jesus. Because Jesus has done that battle for you. Omit that last 90 seconds on the recording and just put this in there. If Satan tempts you, you stand behind Jesus and say, Jesus has defeated you on my behalf. He lived the perfect life. He died a death as a substitute. He rose again. He's kicking you down. Leave me alone, son. That's what you say. Don't even talk to Satan. What am I talking about? So the Lord declares that all of Jesus' preaching and teaching is from the Old Testament. Right? I mean, he's fulfilling the Old Testament. I'll give you one example. In the book of Luke, this is awesome, right? So Jesus is tempted by Satan. He drops some Deuteronomy on him, right? In verse 4, I mean, sorry, in chapter 4 of Luke. Right? So you read Luke 4 and you see that Jesus is tempted by Satan. He drops some OT on him. And then he starts his earthly ministry in verse 16. He came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. 
and he stood up to read. I love that scripture says it was his custom. You see, Jesus wasn't anti-tradition. He wasn't anti-culture. He was like awesome at it, right? So as his was his custom, he went to the synagogue and read. Verse 17, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Quoting Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that's exactly what he does. Jesus goes around all over the place. He's like proclaiming the good news of God's deliverance, of forgiveness of sin. He's proclaiming uh, the good news to the poor He's proclaiming liberty to the captives, not, not only those who are like physically captive, but like spiritually in bondage, right? Like just like in bondage because of sin and bondage because of pride and preference. And Jesus is proclaiming freedom. He's proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, which is this huge statement that we just missed. The year of the Lord's favor, that means God says, hey, I like this. No, the year of the Lord's favor is like God coming down and like dwelling with his people, just hanging out. And so for Jesus to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor is not just to say God is good, but he's saying God is with you Uh, because of me. God is with you. You have communion with God, communion with each other. All is right between you and the Lord. Sin and idols and Satan and death will not keep you from the Lord. You have right relationship with God because of me. That's what the year of the Lord's favor means. And so for Jesus to read this from Scripture is saying, I am fulfilling this. And then as he goes about preaching and teaching, he just time and time again says, this is me, I'm saving you, this is me, I'm saving you. He lives his perfect life fulfilling all of the legal expectations. I mean, he was, in all honesty, he was the perfect Jew. He was a perfect Jewish man, right? All of his actions are are pointing to God, like he's like feeding people, not just because they were hungry, but to to show an example that, that... Jesus is not only feeding you bread, but like he is God's spiritual provision for you for eternity. Feast on him. Right? He heals the blind not only out of pity, like, oh, that guy can't see. Now he can see. But rather to say, I'm not only healing this guy uh, physically, but I'm healing him spiritually. Like, you know, you're blind to the goodness of God, but in Christ you're not. Such good news. So God's salvation of us is good news, and the Lord Jesus himself declared it, right? The writer of Hebrews also says this, it was declared at first by the Lord, secondly, it was attested to us by those who heard. So the writer of Hebrews, speaking to this congregation, is saying, look, you know, those who, those who were there, you know, the, the apostles and the original disciples of Jesus attested to this good news, like, it wasn't just like, yeah, we heard about some, some guy named Jesus, but, but the apostles were like going around planting churches saying, let, let us tell you what we saw and heard and witnessed. And they say, and they're going to write it down. And that's how we have the New Testament is because those who are attesting to this church that the writer of Hebrews is writing to are the same apostles that started the first churches and wrote the New Testament for you and I today. So when we're doing battle, we're prone to drift. We just need to look that Jesus himself declared the good news. The apostles declared the good news of what they read, what they heard, and what they witnessed themselves. Uh, Hebrews also says this, verse 4, While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles. All right, signs, wonders, various miracles. First of all, when you read the Bible, it will blow your mind what God does. I mean, read the old, I mean, first of all, he's like, I'm going to create everything out of nothing. Huh? You know, and he just like talks and everything just appears. You're like, that's, 
amazing. You know what I mean? It's like, what, what did God create everything out of? I, that, does that perplex anybody but me? Like God created everything. Really, what did he use? Nothing. It's amazing. All right, you read the Old Testament time and time again. God is coming down and he'll, he'll teach his people something and then he'll do something to prove it. Jesus did the same thing. When you read all, the, all of Jesus' miracles were tied to something he was teaching. I mean, he'll, he'll teach something and then he'll do something and then teach some more, right? In the same way, God continues to work when we see in the book of Acts signs and wonders and miracles uh, to attest to this good news of our salvation. For example, Acts 2.43, all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. These wonders and signs were done for the sole purpose to attest of God's salvation of us. It was not meant to be some like cool magic trick. You're like sitting around the, the table in the market. So let me show you this cool trick. Woo, you know what I mean? It was meant to attest to God's salvation of us. Signs, miracles, wonders, if they're not attesting to God's salvation of us, you know, that might be a little creepy. I don't know. Jedi mind tricks are not the same as gospel miracles and signs and wonders. Acts 14.3 says this, another example, one of many examples in the book of Acts. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. That's a great example in the book of Acts. The signs and wonders that were being done were to attest to the word of God, the good news of God's grace, right? Awesome. Yes. Fourthly, I mean, God's salvation of us is good news. Jesus declared it. It was attested to by the apostles in the book of Acts. We see signs and wonders being done. And then the author says this in verse 4, the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Scripture makes it clear, you can read in Galatians and 1 Corinthians, even for you and I today, the Holy Spirit gives us each different gifts and strengths, which are meant to be to attest to God's great salvation of us. Right? If you were here a couple weeks ago, if you weren't podcasted, Ben Ritchie did an amazing job uh, preaching on the spiritual gifts. It was a couple weeks ago. Just look it up online. He did a great job preaching on the spiritual gifts, preaching from Galatians and 1 Corinthians about how, these, uh, how the, the gifts the Holy Spirit gives us are not meant to be for our own personal use only, but rather the edification of other believers and for all of us to point uh, back to Jesus at this great salvation. Okay? So as we look at Hebrews, first, we have to see that we are prone to drift. And secondly, we have to see that God's salvation of us is good news. And my fear is that we become numb to it because we live in a culture that is numb to the gospel. Because we live in the, one of the most overchurched cities on the planet. And I fear that we are becoming numb to this gospel. So let me ask you this. As you do an assessment of your heart and ask yourself, are you drifting Second assessment for yourself. How do you view God's salvation? Is it good news for you or is it just some fairy tale that your parents told you as a kid? Do you marvel at the good news of Jesus or are you numb to it? Are you paying attention to what God is doing in our midst because God still moves through the spiritual gifts that he gives each believer? The only way you can witness that is if you know another believer. 
You can't be isolated and be a Christian. You have to do life with one another so that we can see God working in our midst to point us back to the great salvation that is good news. Do the actions of your life point to Christ? So first, we are prone to drift. Secondly, God's salvation for us, of us, is good news. And thirdly and lastly, I want us to see this. This is the practical point. This is how we pay closer attention. Right? I mean, because the writer says this, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. We must do this, people. You, you can't just say, well, I was baptized when I was eight. Okay. Now you must pay closer attention to what you have heard. Or you can't say, well, I grew up in a Christian home. Well, you must pay much closer attention to what you have heard. Well, um, you know, I'm in ministry. I work for a church. Great, so do I. I must pay much closer attention to what I've heard. Because we're prone to drift, and God's salvation of us is great. So here we are in the middle. We said we're prone to drift going this way. God's salvation of us is great. We're stuck in the middle. How do we pay much closer attention? This is where it gets practical. And let me be clear on something. What I am not saying is be dogmatic and God will save you. Because I just got done saying, don't be dogmatic, that's drifting. Now you're saying, well, Jeremy, now you're saying do this, that's dogmatic. No, I'm not being dogmatic. I'm saying we're prone to drift. God's salvation of us is great. We're stuck in the middle. So how do we pay much closer attention? We pay much closer attention by looking to Christ as our great salvation not drifting by sin and idols and preferences, nor looking to those things as our salvation. Does that make sense? I don't want you to come in here saying, well, if I come to church every day and tithe more than 10%, God will save you. No, he won't. That's not how how God saves you. Or if I can memorize the whole New Testament in Greek. Okay, that's, that's jamming if you can do that, but that will not save you. Right? If I can just be a better person, that won't save you either. See, the author says we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. So what have we heard? You can start by reading verse chapter 1 of Hebrews. And then just go to the left and read everything before it. That's, that's what we have heard. That's what the first century church that this author is writing to is saying. Look, we have heard so much, not just this first chapter. We've heard so much about, about God's goodness and coming down to rescue his people. I mean, we've heard so much uh, from the book of Genesis all the way up to Malachi. And then we're hearing this great stuff from the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We've got some Acts in there, some Romans, all these other epistles that are emerging in the first century. This is all good news attesting to the great salvation that God has stooped down and rescued sinful, wicked, fickle, stupid people. That's such good news. We must pay closer attention to what we have heard. So how do we do that? A couple practical things that I want to encourage you, not to be dogmatic, but just some tools to encourage you to pay closer attention to what you've heard. First, some personal spiritual disciplines. Take personal ownership of the salvation that God has called you to. Jesus has saved you. That's something that you steward. It's not a commodity you put in your pocket. If you are a Christian, Jesus has saved you, and it is something that you steward. Take some personal ownership and spiritual disciplines. Pray. Read the Bible. 
If you don't have a Bible, I will give you one. We have some back there. If you don't like those, I will buy you whichever one you want. In so much as it's a Christian Bible. Not some other weird Bible. Cool cover is optional. It can be a lame cover. I don't care. You can pick out whatever Bible you want. I will buy it for you if you will read it. Another spiritual discipline, personal worship. Some of us worship in different ways. Some of you guys love music. Some of, some of you don't. Some of you like solitude. Man, get alone and just worship the Lord, okay? Spend time confessing sin and repenting, being honest. Man, the Lord knows the heart. Just saying, man, I mean, just do this during the week. Say, you know what, God, I just don't, I don't feel like worshiping you today. And be honest with the Lord. Confess that sin. Repent. Believe. There's some corporate rhythms we can do. We have personal spiritual disciplines. Here at Redemption Church, by God's grace, we are trying to learn some corporate rhythms together so that we can pay much closer attention to what we have heard. All right, like, cor- like personally have some ownership, but corporately we are trying to find ways to pay much closer attention to what we have heard, to the, to the good news of Jesus. We want to pay closer attention as, as a corporate body of believers, as a church called Redemption. One way we do that is worship gatherings. Come in here, we will sing, we will pray, we will have communion. Somebody will yell at you from up here and you'll walk away, hopefully feeling like you are paying much closer attention to what you have heard. Right? That's what we hope and pray when we gather together. There's worship gatherings uh, where there's Bible teaching, there's prayer. Another way we do that is missional communities. It's a time throughout the week, the week to meet with other believers in a smaller gathering, not only to uh, talk about what you've heard, to, to pay much closer attention to it, but to also have some relationships uh, grow because we see that uh, the Lord attests uh, to this great salvation by by his will, giving uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit to believers. So it's an opportunity for you to meet with other believers and say, what's God doing in your life? And how can I serve you to point you back to Jesus? We say that's our goal here is we want to be a church that's leading people to Jesus to lead people to Jesus. We want to pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Another way is service teams. Yeah, serving alongside of one another is a great way to see what God's doing in our midst. Because let me tell you, if you're serving in nursery, you will learn so much about yourself and about kids and about the other person you're working with. Or if you come here early and help set up these lights and structure, you're going to learn a lot about people. You're going to learn what makes people tick and what makes people snap and somebody will get mad and walk off. And then we pray together and it's great. And we say, Look at our, let's not neglect our great salvation. <laughs> it's great. So at the end of the day, the three things I want you to think about is first, do an assessment of your heart and know that as humans we are prone to drift. Secondly, to see that God's salvation of us is good news. And thirdly, to pay much closer attention to that good news than the sin, idols, fears, doubts, and preferences that are causing you to drift. Pay much closer attention to that great salvation and do so personally and in community with other believers. All right? In closing, I'll say this. If you're here and you're not a Christian, it is our hope and prayer for you is that we want to introduce you to this Jesus. We don't want to teach you how to be a better person. We want you to uh, meet the one and only Savior that there is who can declare you to be a good person because of who he is and what he's done. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, please come talk to me. Uh, Just come grab me and we'll talk. I want to tell you about Jesus and get you connected to others. If you're here and you are a Christian, I want us to do business with the Lord and assess 
confess our sin, repent, and believe this gospel. Uh, because this is not only for us alone, but we are stewards of this great salvation. And so as we uh, leave this place as believers, we are not only going out to evangelize non-Christians to go tell the good news to those who have never heard. But friends, I think it's a unique mission that we have is to go call others who are drifting back to the gospel. I think that's by and large what this city is. When you walk out of Augusta, you can ask anybody on the street, well, I'll go to such and such church. I've been a member there, blah, blah, blah. And they're just as far away from the gospel as humanly possible. So our mission as a church is unique. It's not only to get the word out about Jesus to non-Christians, but to call others back who have drifted from the faith. Uh, That's my hope and prayer. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, thank you so much for who you are and what you've done. Thank you for the good news of Jesus uh, that we have heard. God, thank you that all of your goodness is displayed throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament. And as we read the scriptures, we see that all of scripture is focusing in on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith the only anchor we have to keep us from drifting. Uh, Lord, I thank you for your grace to us. And Lord, I pray uh, that by your Spirit you would humble us, you would convict us of sin and idols, that you would humble us to uh, loosen up our tight grips on preferences that may actually cause us to drift. God, that you would... uh, that you would uh, dispel all fears and doubts that cause us to drift. And God, that you would ignite in us a, a passion to pay much closer attention to this good news that we have heard. And in so doing, we will grow closer to you and closer together, that by your Spirit we would grow to be more like your Son, Jesus. And God, that you would empower us to get the word out about the gospel of Jesus. Lord, that you would go before us and allow us to have conversations with non-Christians to tell them the good news of Jesus. And Lord, that you would allow us to have conversations with drifting Christians to call back with grace and with humility to call back away from sin, idols, preferences, fears, doubts, that you would allow us to to be a vessel, an instrument of your grace to call drifting people back to the gospel. And God, I pray that you do these things in amazing ways for your glory, for our joy, and that the good news of Jesus would be known throughout the earth. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.